For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Sean said, I'm always close to this. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't you know, give some answer to the question. He said, I'm always close to this. And, and I'm always intimate with this. So just kind of as a, as a kind of footnote, really, the three Buddha bodies technically, and again, there will not be a test, but uh, for those who, who care about such things, there are, there's a teaching in later Mahayana, that there are three aspects or bodies of the Buddha. Um, one is the incarnate body of the Buddha in Sanskrit, for those who are interested in this, Nirmanakaya. Those are actual, uh, like human bodies of Buddha, like Shakyamuni Buddha, who lived 2,500 years ago, more or less, in what's now northeastern India. He was an incarnated, manifested Buddha body. Okay? And there are predicted to be future bodies of Buddha, human bodies of Buddha. And there, there, were, there were, are said to have been previous bodies of Buddha. That's one kind of body of Buddha. Uh, there's also Dharmakaya body of Buddha. There's a huge statue. Um, there's actually a picture back there on the wall of one of these. Uh, an image of this, the great body of the great Buddha in Nara. Uh, these, this is the body of Buddha that is the whole universe. <laughs> all of reality, all of phenomena, as Buddha, as awakened. That's another body of Buddha. The Dharmakaya Buddha. And then there's something called the Sambhogakaya uh, Buddha uh, in Sanskrit, which is the reward body of Buddha. And this is like kind of cosmic... Buddha bodies. These are um, heavenly bodies. Uh, this is like Amida Buddha, who's the uh, Buddha of the pure of the Pure Land school in East Asia, or the Medicine Buddha, or uh, some of you might have visited our uh, monthly reading of the Flower Ornament Sutra, where it describes many, many, many Buddhas. Those are those are some Bodhisattva Buddhas, reward body Buddhas. So in, in that sutra, the Flower and the Sutra, it talks about Buddhas everywhere. And on the tip of a blade of grass, there are innumerable Buddhas. In every atom, there are bodies of Buddha. So um, these are kind of, I don't know, you could call them heavenly bodies of Buddha. And they're very close to us, and they help us. That's, this is how it's understood in um, Bodhisattva Buddhism in, uh, in Asia. So, the, but, but, you know, we could understand this question more as among the various aspects of Buddha, which one doesn't fall into any category? Now, this is a funny question because he's making, talking about categories of Buddha. <laughs> which category of Buddha doesn't fall into any categories? So there's a lot going on in this question. A lot of Dongshan's stories and teachings are about not falling into stages of accomplishment. So again, at the beginning of the song of the Jolmer Samadhi, he says the Dharma suchness 
is infinitely transmitted by Buddhists and ancestors. Now you have it. So, um, Buddha bodies is not something that one accomplish, accomplishes. So Dogen, later in Japan, would talk about the oneness of practice and realization. Uh, Buddha is not something that you need to struggle to accomplish or attain. Buddha is something that's always present. Buddha nature is, in some sense, the nature of reality. It's the ground which we sit on. It's the air we breathe. This is, this is um, anyway, uh, this is one way of talking about Buddha. Uh, Dongshan doesn't say that. Dongshan doesn't say, oh yeah, Buddha's everywhere. That would be kind of a cop-out. That would be too easy. Buddha just says, I'm always close with this. Dongshan says, I'm always close with this. I'm always intimate with this. He doesn't even say, I'm always intimate with this question. He just says, I'm always intimate, close with this. So this is also a story about um, Zen intimacy. This is a story about what Zazen is about. How do we not fall into categories? How do we not fall into, you know, some some particular definition of who we are? Of course, um, the world is made up of categories. Us and them and them and those. And, you know, we are constantly dividing, dissecting the world into subjects and objects and you know, our usual way of thinking, our conditioned way of thinking is about that. Dongshan just says, I'm always close with this. And part of what happens when we sit, when we develop a, uh, a zazen practice where we continue to come back to just facing this situation, just facing the wall, just facing this breath, this thoughts and feelings and body and passing thoughts and this suchness. Um, We get close, we get very intimate with what? To call it a self, it's a little off. To call it something, something other is a little off. We're, we're caught now in a world, in a country where we're, we're always othering. There's my party and the other party. I mean, every, you know, this is what's happening in our country now. Self and other. We have trouble going beyond categories or seeing that there's something that is not subject to categories. So this question is, is not just a, an abstract theoretical question. Which, which aspect of Buddha does not fall into um, 
And the monk said, which one does not fall into any category, does not fall into any stage, does not fall into some, some uh, level uh, or stage of accomplishment? So this is the question, and Dongshan just says, I'm always close to this. So that's just the case. The koan, case 98, also consists of Hongzhou's verse comment, the introduction to the whole case, the comment on the case, and the comment on the verse. So there's a whole lot more to say just about the case, but I want to get a little further into um, the Book of Serenity case. So, um, Wade, could you put up the um, PowerPoint? I want to look at the verse comment by uh, Hongzhou. So you see, first there's the case. A monk asked, which of the three bodies of Buddha does not fall into any category? Dongshan responded, I'm always close to this. Then Hongzhou's first comment. This is one of my very favorite poems. Not entering the world, not following conditions. In the emptiness of the pot of ages, there's a family tradition. White duckweeds, breeze gentle, evening on an autumn river. An ancient embankment, the boat returns. A single stretch of haze. So this is, again, Hongzhou was the, uh, the great teacher a century before Dogen who picked the cases and picked the version of the case because um, there are longer versions of all, a lot of these uh, stories, dialogues. And, uh, and he, then he wrote first comments so not entering the world, not following conditions. Uh, this is, um, you know, an expression of uh, not falling into any category, not falling into conditioning, going beyond all of the worldly separations. Hongzhou lived on a, as Dogen did later, lived in a mountain monastery far up in, the, in China. Uh, as it happens, uh, he also, you know, when there was a famine, I mean, this, is, this pandemic is not the first time there's been difficulties for, um, in, for Zen communities. There was a famine at the foot of the mountain, and um, uh, Hongzhou gave a lot of the uh, uh, monastery store and food to the, his, his parishioners at the bottom of the mountain. But um, he's talking about this case, not falling into, not always being close to this question, not, not uh, falling into any category, not entering the world, not following conditions. In the emptiness of the pot of ages, there's a family tradition. So he's talking about um, a particular uh, particular tradition, a particular lineage. Uh, the word tradition here is the same as the word of trans, same as the word as the word for transmission. In the emptiness of the pot of ages, strange phrase. How, uh, 
how can we be nourished by, from an empty pot? The pot of ages. It's literally the pot of kalpas, many ages. In the emptiness of the pot of ages is a family tradition. What, um, what is this uh, legacy, this transmission that we've received, that we're practicing here in uh, the emptiness of uh, the, the pandemic here? What's this pot of ages? Um, Hongsha calls it emptiness. Maybe it's this teaching of emptiness that allows us this family legacy. Uh, Dogen has a uh, has a uh, poem in which he uses the same the same term. Let me see if I can find that. But he uses it in a different way. Um, uh, so emptiness, the word for emptiness, it's the same emptiness as form, and form is exactly emptiness, emptiness is exactly form that we say in the Heart Sutra. But that word also can mean sky. Um, so, um, so Dogen has a line in his extensive record, outside the window, plum blossoms open in secret, encompassing spring. You can catch the moon in the pot of ages in the sky. And that pot of ages in the sky is the same as this emptiness of the pot of ages, the same characters. Um, so, uh, in this poem, it's autumn in that, uh, in that poem of Dogen's, it's spring, and it's plums blossoming on the same branch as last year. Anyway, in the emptiness of the pot of ages, very strange, strange phrase, there's a family tradition that we're part of, that Hongzhou's part of, Dogen's part of. White duckweeds breeze gentle evening on an autumn river. Things are passing, and uh, we've entered autumn here in Chicago. An ancient embankment, the boat returns, a single stretch of haze. I love this line. An ancient embankment. Any ideas what the ancient embankment is? Just call out. I I can't see everybody because we're sharing this. Ed, any ideas? You're smiling. Anyone? Is it the other shore? It's the other shore, an ancient embankment. So uh, the other shore is, uh, well, sometimes, so we, we sometimes call it nirvana. And when we say uh, beings are numberless, I vow to free them or save them, literally the characters used there is to carry, and the character for paramita, transcendent practices, to carry to the other shore, an ancient embankment. The boat returns. So, the, so I imagine a, a ferry, a ferry uh, boat, a bodhisattva, carrying the boat to the other shore again and again and again. A single stretch of haze. It's a little dim. Maybe it's from the uh, fires and climate fires in California. Yes, Ed. Thank you. 
I'm curious about the term in ancient, about the use of the word ancient. Yeah, it's ancient. It's it's been you know we're talking we're reading a poem from the uh, 1100s, and uh, you know this is and, and uh, we're talking about Dongshan, who was in the 800s. That's pretty ancient. So uh, it's it goes way back, and of course to the Buddhas before Buddha. So anyway. The, the, uh, there's m- much, much more to say about this poem. I like it a lot. Not entering the world, not following conditions. In the emptiness of the pot of ages, there's a family tradition. White duckweeds, breeze gentle, evening on an autumn river. So there, there, there are, there's more to say about all these images, like the duckweeds, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go that, I'll do that for now. Can you scroll down on this, uh, wait? I want to get into some of Wansong's commentary and then just open this up for discussion. But um, uh, okay, so first a little bit about Wansong's comments on the case, and there's a lot. There's actually a lot more. That, so um, in the Book of Serenity, again, it's it's the cases and the verses, but there's also Wansong was a really interesting person. I found out um, that one of his um, and this is this is research I did, uh, thanks to Paula and her telling me about uh, um, um, Shaolin and the uh, which is uh, a center for martial arts. But actually, that was because one of Wansong's disciples. He had several really interesting disciples. But one of his disciples became the abbot of Shaolin, like in the early 1300s, and. Uh, because of civil wars at that time, he brought martial artists there. And that's when it became the martial arts center of China. Anyway, uh, that's a, uh, one of the successors of Wansong. Anyway, Wansong wrote the, and there's a, he had some other really interesting successors. But, um, okay, he wrote the, he wrote the uh, commentary to Hongshu's cases and verses. And there's a, a, a verse that, that's included in the lo- much longer commentary on the case by Wansong, he quotes a, 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 a verse by another master named Bao Ming. This closeness is heart-rending if you search outside. Why does ultimate familiarity seem like enmity? From beginning to end, the whole face has no color or shape. Still, your head is asked for by Saoshan. So, um, maybe I'll get to Saoshan, but this closeness is heartrending if you search outside. Why does ultimate familiarity seem like enmity? So as I said, this whole story, this whole case is about, you could say this is about Zen intimacy. One starts in Zen, one, one intimacy starts with looking inside, becoming intimate with oneself. Through Zazen, seeing one's own now, Joan Amaral was talking about this some yesterday. So one's seeing one's own fear and anger and emotions and accepting them, not repressing them, being with them, not necessarily reacting to them, but actually feeling one's own fear, acknowledging it to oneself, not acting out based on it necessarily, but Getting to know, becoming intimate with oneself, 
This is part of the process of zazen. It's not all of zazen. But then one becomes intimate with oneself, and with, when one is intimate with oneself, one can be then intimate with some so-called other. In relationship, in interaction with friends, neighbors, in, in interaction with others in terms of trying to uh, act to be helpful in the world, to respond appropriately. Uh, but this closeness is heart-rending if you search outside, if you try and um, just look outside for closeness. Why does ultimate familiarity seem like enmity? So uh, some of you may think about the people you are closest to and how sometimes with teachers, with spouses, with children or parents, people who are closest to us, it seems like enmity. It's difficult. And sometimes with oneself. One fights with oneself as one becomes intimate. So these two lines are powerful teachings on, on, uh, on intimacy. And actually, this is, is, this is the commentary on the case that, that is just before the first comment by Hongzhe about, um, about not entering the world, not following conditions. So that's how Wanzong introduces Hongzhe's verse about uh, the emptiness of the pot of ages. Uh, I don't want to... There's so much, there's so much in the commentary that uh, I want to leave time for discussion, but um, I'll just mention... Shan is one of uh, Dongshan's close successors. He's not the successor from whom our lineage and Dogen's lineage comes, but he's one. And um, there's a story about him. Um, a monk asks Shan, what is the meaning of Dongshan saying, I am always close to this? And Shan just said, if you want my head, cut it off and take it. And he leaned over to let him cut off his head. So there's a whole discourse amongst uh, the successors of Dongshan about not answering directly. And the nation's taboo, there's a whole thing about not saying the name of the emperor in China. But that was taboo. And they use that as a metaphor for not answering directly. So uh, I'm always close to this, Dongshan says. So that's what the reference to Shan is in this. Still your head is asked for by Shan. Actually, he offered his head, but... <laughs> uh, so uh, Baoming is turning it around. And then I'll just... Uh, so there's a whole long, uh, com- interesting commentary on the, on the case um, by uh, Wan Song. And there's a commentary on... Uh, on the verse by, by Wan Song, including a, another, a different verse about white duckweed. But uh, I'll just mention Wan Song's introduction to the whole case, where he also mentions Sao Shan cutting off his head. Uh, Zhe Feng cutting off his tongue made a sequel to Shi Shuang, and, and that's about a story about a guy named Zhe Feng who 
would not speak directly, uh, refused to talk, refused to answer. Zafshan cutting off his head, didn't turn away from Dongshan. Then there's this line, the ancient sayings were so subtle. Where is the technique to help people? So I wanted to end with that from the introduction. The whole point of this is how to help people, how to relieve suffering. So these are not these stories which seem uh, theoretical and uh, maybe abstruse. The point of them, Wansong is saying in the introduction to the story is, what is the way to help people? So, Wade, you can take away the, uh, this, uh, this attachment now. Thank you. So, okay, that's the story. And again, these, um, these uh, koans in the elaborate literary format of them in the Book of Serenity and in the Booklet Record you know, are complicated literary events. But uh, I just wanted to introduce the story to you and the whole and the issue here of um, not falling into separation, not falling into categories. Uh, and, and, you know, this is relevant to us. And it's relevant and it's not it's relevant to us in this particular time, but it's also relevant to us as humans with human consciousness. Our usual way of thinking is. Uh, and our usual grammar is subject, verb, object, and we try to verb objects out there and manipulate them to get what we want, or we try and pr- protect ourselves from subjects out there so they won't verb us. You know, these this 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 process of separation and making categories and trying to find stages of accomplishment and advancement is how we think, and it's part of the dilemma we're all caught in now in our country in terms of all in terms of all this separation so um this there's a lot going on in the story but i wanted to uh, present this to you as a, a one of the uh seminal stories in our tradition so uh, we have some time are there comments questions <clears throat> responses um you can raise your hand. Please feel free. If, you, if I can't see you, I can't quite see you, Deborah. People can um, go to the participants link and just raise your hand if you want to comment. So raise hand thing at the bottom. And any comment or response or question is welcome. Mike. Uh, thank you for your talk, Tygen. Um Yeah, there's there's so much depth in all these, and I'm always amazed by like what can get drawn out. Um, the the line from Hongzhi's um, commentary, uh, "Not entering the world," reminded me of the line from I think from Genjo Koan, um, uh, "To go forth and experience things is delusion, um, and that many things should um, come forth and experience themselves." Um, I don't know if there's a tie between those, but um, I just made that connection in my head, and I don't know if there's if it's just that or if there's anything to that. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, not entering the world, not pushing oneself into the world. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's good. Uh, so uh, what Mike's referring to is the line of, by Dogen's in Genjo Koan that uh, delusion is when we, when we project, our, uh, paraphrasing, uh, to project ourselves out into the world, put ourselves into the world, and, 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 you know, see the world in terms of ourselves, as opposed to awakening, which is when everything just arises together uh, and, and experiences itself including us but not not controlled by ourselves so yeah that, i think that is relevant i hadn't i hadn't thought of that connection before but that's good thank you other connections or comments or um literary uh reflections or whatever <laughs> yes ed uh th- thank you uh, very much I, you know, I'm very struck by the by the pairing of the idea of intimacy with the idea of enmity. Yeah, and how how they are linked in that second commentary, and how they're directly addressed or implied in the verse itself. Yeah, when um, the when the Buddha says that uh, he is close to this question of, of a categorical nature. Well, that's Dongshan who says that, but you can call them an old Buddha. <laughs> okay. I, it's, it's, it can complicate the question of obligation um, and caring and uh, familiarity. Such an awareness of that, that dichotomy. Yeah. It's it is really interesting. Those we are it doesn't not necessarily, but sometimes anyway, people we are most intimate with parents, children, spouses, um, good friends. There's tension there sometimes, or even even if he says it feels like enmity. It, it, and I don't know, maybe, maybe that's not true for all of you, but, you know, for some of us anyway, at times it uh, can be like that. And, and that's, in, that's really interesting. Ed, go ahead. And, and so um, the comparison you're drawing out uh, as regards the relationship of individuals to individuals, certainly that's parallel uh, as regards the relationships we have with other things, period, and certainly with ourselves, Categorically, right? And yeah. is is there some material there? I mean, if in fact this relationship, what you're describing is a value or an ethical stance as regards how to manage en- enmity, but we're acknowledging the existence of enmity as a primary <coughs> aspect, as a primary aspect of intimacy, whatever the hell intimacy is, I'm not sure. So. Well, this is talking about intimacy, and, and it's, I don't know that it's the primary aspect, but it feels like it sometimes. And I think he's, one of the things that's involved here is teacher and student relationships, spiritual friends. And that happens sometimes, that uh, one may feel that some enmity with one's teacher or with one's student, but it's also internal. If you, if one, um, it's also the struggles we we have internally with parts of ourselves. There are things often. Again, I don't want to generalize or assume anything, but for some people, 
there are parts of oneself that one uh, struggles with, to put it that way, or that one, you know, re- wants to repress or doesn't want to acknowledge. You know, so we sometimes, so we chant. We we haven't found a format for that in Zoom, and we used to do it regularly in our services. Maybe we should do that at the beginning of our service. Of our service, the chant. All my ancient twisted karma from beginning must create hate and delusion. Born two bodies, which in mind I now fully avow. We haven't found a, a place for that in our Zoom program. But anyway, um, yeah, acknowledging that um, internal struggle. So, uh, again, um, what, is the, what is intimacy is, is a question here. One final very brief statement. It's, so what you're suggest, saying is that intimacy is, in fact, found on the landscape of enmity. Again, I, enmity is involved in, you know, traversing that landscape. It may not, it, it, there, may be, there may be no enmity at times, but it's part of what one, yeah, it's found there. Yeah, okay. One may cross it, may, may cross the plains of enmity and, get to some other terrain at times, but um, yeah. Doug, did you have a comment? Yes, I I have a sense of, and thank you very much. I really appreciate um, your talk. And, and at first I wasn't following, but now I'm getting a real sense of an inner struggle that I've had with whether or not to compete mm-hmm. and the whole concept of competing applied in this, you know, like competition. We're all in, we're, especially in this country, we seem to be so competitive all the time. And, and that aspect of it has a, a, an inner struggle about, the, about winning and not winning. And it, it just really got me. The poem was just incredible, too. Yeah, I love that poem. It, it, uh, not as, there, there are other stories about Dongshan that even more than this story emphasize the whole emptiness of stages and try and and our ideas of progress and accomplishment and getting to some elevated state or something like that and i think for in our culture you know we're conditioned to you know make personal progress and you know to uh go through grades and try and get degrees or get, uh, you know, we make resumes to get better jobs or, you know, anyway, there's the whole, this whole training in, in, uh, you know, accomplishment and, and part of what Dongshan emphasizes in many of his stories is not getting caught in stages. So that's, that's part of this story, but it's much more explicit in some of his other stories. I, I was seeing I was seeing something that felt like um, not making the other person a loser, though specifically winning. You know, right, right. That's there too. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, just great. Yeah. So, um, how do you know? How do we see? Yeah. So the whole idea of separation of, of um, yeah, when you think of categories of different Buddhas, you know, <laughs> or different bodies, you know, 
and we have to ju- make judgments about where we are in relationship to others. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. That's uh, and our culture encourages that. <laughs> As you were saying, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Other responses or questions? Uh, maybe we're almost almost uh, time to stop. But Ian, last last uh, comment. I was wondering if you could speak about the uh, introduction a little bit more. There's uh, some aspects like uh, cutting off tongues and cutting off heads that seem a bit esoteric. I was wondering if you could help. Yeah, part of the whole koan literature is that the more you read these stories, the more they relate to other stories. And there's often references to other stories. And particularly Hongzhe is very, was very literate. He's re- sometimes he refers to classical Chinese stories, so as, a, as well as other Buddhist stories. But those stories, uh, Saoshan was, uh, I mentioned the story about Saoshan offering his head, so that's what that story is about. Zhe Feng, the, um, Where's the story about Zhe Feng? Um, uh, there's, there's some, I mean, there's some really funny stories. I'll just, uh, but, uh, uh, oh, um, just briefly, uh, the story about Zhe Feng is in the commentary. Um, um, Zhe Feng's teacher, Shi Shuang, and there's much more to say about him, um, was asked about the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming from the West, and Shishuan just gnashed his teeth. <laughs> that was it. And the monk didn't understand, and after Shishuan's death, asked Shishuan what, what, what he had meant by gnashing his teeth, and Shishuan said, I'd rather cut off my tongue than violate the nation's taboo. <laughs> so that's what that's a reference to. Uh, I'll tell one. I'll tell one more story because it's, it's just it's just so funny. One of Dongshan's um, other uh, men. He had numbers of of uh, uh, notable successors. One of them was named Shushan Guangren, um, and he asked Dongshan, "Please teach me a word which doesn't yet exist." Dongshan said, "No, no one would agree." Shushan said then can it be approached or not? Dongshan said, can you approach it right now? So Sushan said, if not, still there's no way to avoid it. And Dongshan agreed with him. But the story, but uh, I wanted to mention the story about uh, uh, Sushan Guangren. He was, um, he was apparently, uh, I don't know what the word is. He was very short, uh, maybe a dwarf or whatever. And, um, there's a story that uh, when he when uh, Dongshan was giving Dharma transmission to Saoshan, Sushan hid under um, Dongshan's chair so he could hear hear what was going on, and he was caught, and there was uh, you know a big scandal. But he did later get transmission from Dongshan. Anyway, there's all these strange stories that happened, <laughs> and. Uh, um, it is sort of time to stop, but if anybody... I believe um, 
Tigan, that uh, Douglas and Amina have had their hands up. I don't know if we have time for them. Oh, I'm sorry. Let, let me call on Amina first because it's been so long since you've been here. Amina. Hi. Thank you so much, Tigan. Um, Hi. Um, I don't have much to say. It's funny. I have not been with these verses for so long. But yeah. it, I'll just say that it feels very good to be with them again. And something in me responds so strongly. I mean, not in this logical way, but just to, especially to these conversations, to these, these questions, you know, and this thing about uh, not categorizing and, and being close to it. And um, so, so I'll just say that I, I, I don't know that there's much for me to say right now, but just to kind of be with them again. And I appreciate that. It's great to have you here. Please come again. Amina is a very fine novelist, published novelist, by the way, and uh, recommend her works. And it's great to have you. Please come again. Um, she used to be, uh, she used to live in Chicago and be active at Ancient Dragon, but now with Zoom, people come from all over. So. Great. Douglas? Um, I, I'd like to go back to our chant and, and come at the story from the first line of the jewel, the precious mirror samadhi, that the Dharma thusness is intimately transmitted. Now you have it, preserve it well. And a similar poem about the harmony of difference and sameness, where where we see difference and conflict and contradiction, it's not true that that conflict and contradiction is resolved in, in thusness, that in, we could say in a way, it's not quite that, but that the world of differences and identities and separate reified static things is dissolved in, in, in the understanding of emptiness and then they reappear, sort of like the boat going across to the other shore, disappearing in the mist and then reappearing again as it comes back. Um, so, you know, the idea of uh, you have um, Dharmakaya, Sambhogakaya, Nirmanakaya, which one is really real? But the whole uh, point of this is Buddha, those are all names for views of aspects, ways of looking at Buddha. That's not Buddha. They're not real things. Buddha encompasses all sorts of ways of seeing and being. And Dongshan himself, I think, when he says, well, I am always close to this, he's not just close to it. He is embodying suchness by drop it, trying to live dropping off categories dropping off, trying to fix things with labels and descriptions and analysis and descriptions of how things are supposed to be. So he's not, he's close to the question, he's close to the issue all the time, but he's really identical with it. He's a, he is an, himself an aspect of the world, the aspect of, of thusness or aspects of, or suchness. So that, um, you know, in a in a practical sense, we can look at it at the way we come to the world and we keep trying to label things and fix things in categories and make judgments about them. And this is who I am. Um, you know, I am I, which is the real Douglas, the Zen student, the father, the lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's an, insu- that's an insufficient number, but it's not contradictory there's a harmony of the different 
aspects of Douglas in that. And we live an authentic life through Zazen and learning to drop off, getting stuck in those labels and categories and, and coming to the world in a different way. Not that we don't see difference, but it's not a fundamental real difference with distinction. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think that's what the poem is also getting at a little bit with the idea of the enmity and the, what is the phrase? It's the enmity and the intimacy, that there is an intimacy and suchness that overcomes the difference. There's the harmony of difference and sameness and suchness. So there's the, the intimacy and the enmity are dissolved in a way. Um, so I'll just leave it at that. Just the aspects of the story and the verse to think about. Good. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, yes, the point is, so the point isn't to get rid of differences. The point isn't to merge everything into one, you know, gloppy sameness. That's not the point. It's to realize the suchness of both, and it's not just both, it's all the different sides of uh, the categories and the beyond categories. Yeah. Beyond categories doesn't deny the categories. Yeah, and and, and the all-encompassing reality of the world or the universe or beyond um, is, is not subject to categories because the categories both as a matter of being and, and condition, interconditioning and intercausality and, and also logically and conceptually are interdependent. So there is no Nirmanakaya without Sambhogakaya and Dharmakaya no dharmakaya without sambhogakaya and nirmanakaya. The terms have no meaning except in relation to the other terms. There may be guides on how to uh, engage with the world, but they're not real. They're not things. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a thought that carries over to everything. As yeah, well. So not everything we encounter in our lives, everything we think about, how we see ourselves, how we see others, we are not separate uh, because of our mutual conditioning, uh, our interpenetration, and even conceptually, we can't exist one without the others. So, anyway. Yeah, so it's not about rejecting the world, and it's not yeah. about rejecting that which goes beyond the world. Right. But seeing it in a, coming at it in a different way, not necessarily seeing it, but coming at it in a different way. Yeah. It's very intimate. It, it, it's intimacy itself being a, a claim on category. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, with that, uh, let's, it's, we're a little behind time. So, um, Wade, could you lead us in the four body stocks of vows, and then we'll have uh, announcements.
Sorry, one moment. Let me mute people so it's not a horrible cacophony. Maybe it won't let me. Difficulties today. We're all muted anyway, I think, Wade. Okay. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it.